Well, thank you for joining us, uh, Christ Chapel, for worship, and I know that many of you are gathered together with others, maybe, maybe even some family members. You're, you're doing a lot of things as a, a family these days, maybe uh, things that you didn't even normally expect, but one of the things that I've heard that you've been doing is you've been playing games. Many families have been telling me about the games that they've been playing, whether they've been board games or card games or video games. They've been playing these games together, which is, is wonderful. I'll be honest, though, when I hear about those games that you're playing as a family, I'm jealous because we're just not at that stage as a family where we can actually play a game together with, with our young boys because every time we start a game, we always have to start over. That's because they don't always win the games. And see, I, I take it as a great father's responsibility to teach my boys that you don't always win. But they, they're not at that age where they really want to accept that fact. So it doesn't matter what game we're playing, they always want to win. And so if we're racing cars on the floor or playing Connect Four or whatever game that we're playing, if they find out that they're not winning, they call a timeout. Time out, time out, time out. Redo, that, 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 they love that word. Redo, start over, they, they, want, they want a fresh start. They want to stop the game and then rearrange all the pieces to where they are actually going to win. And, and I, I, you know, as a good dad, I, I try to let them go on that sometimes and give them a fresh start, but as we were trying to play a game the other night and that happened, I, I just realized, isn't that what we all want? I mean, wouldn't it be great if we could all just in our lives call it timeout and everything around us had to stop and we got to rearrange all the circumstances of our lives so that we win? Because right now, many of you don't feel like you're winning. Maybe you've lost a job, maybe you've lost a loved one, a lost relationship. If anything, you've certainly lost certainty. Everything seems uncertain, everything seems out of whack right now, and all of us would love to just say, time out, redo, and just get a do-over. A, a start the whole game of life over and get a fresh start. Well, if you feel like you need a fresh start, let me just tell you, you have a great heavenly father, one who is gracious and loving and who is all about fresh starts and redos. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. So if you would, open your Bibles to Ruth chapter one. Ruth chapter one, verses six to 22. We're gonna continue our series through the book of Ruth. And the, remember, our series is called Unfailing Love. And what I don't want you to forget or lose perspective is, this is certainly gonna highlight some human beings' unfailing love for one another. But don't forget, the underlying current of this entire book is the unfailing love of God for his people. God's unfailing love for you. So don't lose perspective. But let me give you again the setting because we just started that series last week of what's going on in the book of Ruth. Remember, this is the time of the judges. So this is just after the death of Joshua. This is probably during the time of the judge Gideon, about there. And, and the, the time of the judges was basically marked by everyone did what was right in their own eyes. 
There, there was no rule or reign that was marked with chaos and confusion. They would turn their backs on God to go do what they wanted their own way, and then God would discipline them, and then they would turn back again. And it was just this vacillating between worshiping God and not worshiping God. It was, it was a pretty awful time. And during this time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. And this famine was so severe that it drove a family of four to Moab, to a foreign land. And that's when this family of four, Elimelech was uh, the father, and Naomi took their two children, Malon and Chilion, from Bethlehem all the way down, about a 50-mile journey to Moab. But things don't go well in Moab. In Moab, Naomi, the mother, loses her husband, Elimelech, and her two boys, Malon and Chilion. If anybody wants time out, redo, fresh start, it's Naomi. And that's where we pick up the book of Ruth today. What I wanna do is just kind of read the narrative to you. I'm gonna skip over just a little section, but I wanna read it to you because I want you to feel the emotion of this text, the desperation that Naomi has, that God, would you show me your unfailing love in some way? So begin in verse six, follow along with me. It says, then, then meaning after she had lost her husband and her two boys, then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Verse seven, so she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with me, the dead and with me. Verse nine, the Lord grant you that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Remember, they were widowed. Then she said, and then she kissed them and lifted up their voices and they wept. Now go to verse 14. It says, then they lifted up their voices and they wept again after they have this conversation of go back home, Naomi tells those daughters-in-law. And they weep again. But Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to Naomi. Verse 15, and she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, don't urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I'm gonna go. And where you stay, I'm gonna stay. Your people shall be my people and your God will be my God. Naomi, where you die, I'm gonna die. And there I will be buried, and may the Lord do to me, and more also, if anything but death separates me from you. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, then Naomi didn't argue with her anymore. Verse 19, so the two of them go back, and they come into Bethlehem, and when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred, and that that Hebrew word, it's an onomatopoeic word. It means was buzzing because they are back. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she said, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. 
I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity on me? Verse 22, so Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. We're gonna stop there for today. Now, if I were to read all of those verses, I know I skipped a section for sake of time, but if I were to read all of those verses, one of the words that would have stood out to you would be the word return. In fact, the Hebrew word that's used for return is actually used nine times in these verses. Nine times it's return, return, return. And the reason, one of the other reasons why I wanted to read it to you was because that's how this audience would have heard this book. They wouldn't have read it, they would have heard it orally. And what you would have heard is return, return, return. They were in Moab, they were in this foreign land where they weren't supposed to be, these idol worshipers, the Moabites, and all they hear is return, return, return. You need a fresh start. You need a redo. You need to return back to God. You see, that's exactly what Naomi needed. She needed to return back to God to get a fresh start. And I think that's what we all need right now is that fresh start with God. So what I wanna do is I wanna go through this passage and I wanna pull out three key areas for you to have a fresh start with God that you need to return to. These are areas that Naomi returned to and areas that you need to return to as well. So the first one is this. A fresh start with God begins with a return to his presence. A return to his presence. Now remember, they went to Moab, but where did they leave? Remember, they left Judah. Remember, Judah was the promised land. Don't forget that. That was the promised land that was flowing with milk and honey. That's the land that Joshua and Caleb went into, and they're like, man, this, this place is awesome. God has blessed this place. Yet that's the place that they leave. That's the place that they go away from. You see, the reason why they were experiencing famine in the land was because that was God's discipline to call them back to himself to call them back to a relationship with him. But the Israelites of that day, they didn't want to turn back to God. They walked away from him. They chose to leave the promised land. They chose to leave God's presence to go seek their own way. And I thought, how often do we do that in our own lives? Rather than changing our ways, we go seek out our own way. Rather than turning to God, we go seek the things of God away from his presence. And that's exactly what Naomi and Elimelech did with Malon and Chilion. They left God's presence. They left the promised land to go seek their own way. And we've all made those choices. We've all thought, God, you haven't shown up the way that I've wanted you to. And so I'm gonna go seek greener pastures. I'm gonna go seek my own way because guess what? I know what I need and I'm gonna go get it myself. And how does that turn out for Naomi? It never turns out well for anyone that seeks their own way. My friend, let me tell you, 
When you seek your own way, that's called sin. And sin will always take you further than you wanna go. It will always make you stay longer than you wanna stay. And it'll always cost you more than you wanna pay. Sin is never kind. And there are always consequences to it. And now Naomi finds herself in this foreign land trying to literally scrape out a living in Moab. That's the picture that we have in Ruth chapter one, verse six, is Naomi is there trying to to work for food. This was the land that was supposed to be greener, greener grass on the other side, right? This is where the food was supposed to be. But it says that then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields. Don't miss that. She's working hard for that food. It's not coming easy. Don't buy into the lie that going someplace other than with God is going to be better or work out better for you. It never does. She heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. Now remember, I told you that this word return is in there. This return is in here nine times. And this word that's used for return is the main Hebrew word that's used for repent. And that's the New Testament word that we use. Repent means to turn back to God. It means I was walking away from God and now I'm gonna turn back to his presence. And that's what God is calling Naomi to do, is to come back to a relationship with me, to come back to my presence. And remember, that's what she hears is there. That's what's there. It's not just that there's food back in the house of bread in Bethlehem, but what's there is God's presence. Don't miss that. Look at that. What showed up first? What showed up first was the Lord had visited. The Lord's presence was there because people had turned back to him. And that's the call that Naomi gets is not just to return to food. It's to return to the Lord. And maybe you need a fresh start today. You need to return to the presence of the Lord. That's what God is calling you to do, is to come back and return, to repent, to turn back to him. So here's what I wanna ask you to do today. I want you to go where God blesses. Go where God blesses rather than asking him to bless where you're going. I think that's what Elimelech and Naomi did. They formulated this, their own plan of, hey, you know what, I think it's gonna be better if we just go to Moab. Even though it's a foreign land, even though they're idol worshipers, even though we're not supposed to go there, let's leave the house of bread. Let's leave God's presence and go there. And then we'll just pray, God, we're your people, would you just bless us here? You see, there's a difference between asking God what his plan is for you and asking him to bless the plans that you've made for yourself. You need to go where God blesses rather than asking him to bless where you're going. And and you say, Cody, well, where is God blessing? Let me tell you the place that God always blesses, and that's his presence. He, uh, blessing always always streams and flows from his presence. That's why I keyed in there on chapter one, verse seven, when it says, the Lord visited and then provided them food. The blessing flows from his presence. That's what Psalm 1611 shows us. In Psalm 1611, it says, you make known to me the path of life. 
In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now, isn't this exactly what we want? Don't we want joy? Don't we want pleasures? And that's what we go seeking after. And where does God tell us those things are? In his presence. Where you're gonna be blessed is in his presence. And some of you, I know, especially during these hard times, you, you get impatient. And so here's my challenge for you. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Don't make your own plan. Wait for his plan. Don't go your own way and then ask him to bless that way. Say, Lord, I'm gonna wait here in your presence. In your presence is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. In your presence, blessings flow. Wait for his guidance. Wait for his direction. In fact, if you're struggling with waiting on the Lord right now, go back and do a study of what happens when people wait on the Lord. They are never disappointed. Go where God blesses, and where he blesses is his presence, and that's where a fresh start begins. But a fresh start doesn't only begin with returning to his presence. It also begins with a return to his people, a return to his people. Remember, they went to a foreign land down in Moab, about a 50-mile journey. Now they have to go back to Bethlehem. So now they're gonna make this 50-mile journey back to Bethlehem. And they decide that after they hear that they're working in the fields, that there's food back in the house of bread, remember that's what Bethlehem means, that they're gonna go back. So Naomi decides that she's gonna go back and she's got Ruth and Orpah, her daughters-in-law, with her. But on this journey back, we don't know exactly where, Naomi decides, you know what? It's probably not gonna be good for these girls to go back with me. Now, there are many theories as to why Naomi begins to try to convince these girls that they shouldn't go back to Bethlehem. One of those theories is that Naomi knows that she's gonna be implicated as almost a bad mother because she let her boys marry these foreign wives, which they weren't supposed to do. Another theory is that Naomi doesn't want the responsibility of caring for these two young girls. Because remember, the responsibility is now falling on her because Elimelech's not there, Malon's not there, Chilion's not there, and she doesn't want that responsibility. But actually, I think the reason why Naomi doesn't want them to go with her back to Bethlehem is because she knows that she's got nothing to offer them. I mean, that's what's there if you look back at verses, if you go down to verses 10 to 13, it's just this back and forth where Naomi says, I don't have anything to offer you girls. I don't have any more sons. And even if I got married today, you're not gonna wait for me to try to have children again to give you sons to, so that you would have husbands and therefore have provision and protection and, and the blessings of a family and all of those wonderful things. I don't have anything to give you. So you just need to go back to Moab. You need to go back to your friends. You need to go back to your family. You need to go back there because one of the things that I know from the Old Testament, that back in ancient days, the four most vulnerable demographics were the widow, the orphan, the poor, and the alien, the foreigner. And essentially, that's exactly what they're going back to be. 
If they go back to Bethlehem with Naomi, Orpah and Ruth are widowed. They're gonna be poor because they don't have any any provision. They're practically orphans because they don't have any family with them and they're foreigners. And oh yeah, they're certifiably barren. They aren't able to have children. They will not be Israel's most eligible bachelorettes in any way. And Naomi says, you know what, girls? It's gonna be better for you to go back to Moab. Go back to your friends. Go back to your family. And they cry and they, they kiss one another and love because they've been through a lot. They've struggled a lot together. And then Orpah acquiesces and she says, okay. I'll go back, which is very ironic. Gosh, there's so many wonderful details in the book of Ruth. So ironic, because remember what Orpah's name means. It means stubborn or stiff-necked. And she's not very stubborn about staying in that familiar territory or staying, going with Naomi. She says, fine, I'll go back home. And then this is what Naomi says to Ruth. Look at verses 15 to 17. Naomi says, see, Ruth, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Don't forget that. Return, there's that word again, after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, don't you dare urge me to leave you to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. I'll be buried there with you. And may the Lord deal, uh, do to, so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you or separates me from you. It's this almost like brave heart commitment that Ruth makes to Naomi where Ruth, this, this, this foreign, uh, poor gal that has gone through this suffering, she's a widow. She stands on her own two feet and she's like, don't tell me to leave you. I am, I am not leaving you, Naomi. And, every, and a lot of people focus on this commitment that Ruth makes to Naomi, which is fantastic. She uses covenantal language, Old Testament covenantal language where it's this, this bond to each other that I will never leave you. And there's always a witness. And who is her witness? It's God. That's who she calls down as her witness. May God deal with me ever so severely if anything but death separates me from you. It's this wonderful commitment that Ruth makes to Naomi. But what I don't want you to miss is the commitment that Ruth makes to God. See, there's a, there's a conversion. That, this is Ruth's public demonstration, confession of faith in Yahweh. Ruth was a Moabite, an idol worshiper, but now she says and declares, Yahweh is going to be my God. Remember, go, go back to verse 15. Remember what Naomi says to Ruth. She says, look, your sister-in-law, she's gone back to her family. She's gone back to her gods. And Ruth says, those aren't my gods anymore. My, my God is Yahweh. See, there's a conversion that happens there. This is, this is like the, the conversion that we have in the New Testament where we put our full faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross, that we leave our old self behind, 
And we take on a new identity in Christ, even with an unknown future. But that's exactly what Naomi was betting on, was the character of God. See, that was the only thing promised to her. Ruth's faith conversion, it was nothing in Bethlehem plus God, or it was everything in Moab minus God. And she places her entire identity, her entire future on Yahweh. And I learned two great lessons from this, this short little text in verses 15 to 17. And the first one is this. Don't underestimate the effect your faith can have on others. Because where does Ruth get this idea that she can base her entire future and identity on Yahweh? She gets it from Naomi. She's watched Naomi grieve the loss of her husband. She's watched Naomi grieve the loss of her two boys. She's watched Naomi trust the Lord. And she bases her faith on the faith that she's seen worked out in Naomi's life. I read a wonderful quote that I think is very applicable. It says, faith in the Lord, especially in the face of bitter trials, is frequently used by the Lord to produce faith in others. Your faith, especially in the face of bitter trials, can be used to build the faith of others. Don't underestimate living out your faith in front of others, even through trials. God can use that, the trust that you demonstrate in him, to change someone else's life, just like he did Naomi for Ruth. But the other thing that I learned here that I think is so wonderful is that God connects to us as individuals, but he also connects us as people. You see, because Ruth's conversion statement isn't just a public declaration of her faith in Yahweh, but it's a connection to Yahweh's people. You see, God's will will always lead you to God's people. It will never lead you away from God's people. God wants us in community together. God, we need each other. And that's why we continue to tell one another through this entire time, we're in this together. We need each other. We need to lean on one another. And that's what Ruth needed and that's what Naomi needed. See, God's will will always lead us toward one another, never away. And that's a great marker of if you need a fresh start, if you are out of fellowship with other believers, you need a fresh start. You need to come back and return, not only to God's presence, but to God's people. And it starts with your commitment. Would you commit to living out your faith with other believers amidst life's unknowns? That's what Ruth committed. She didn't know what the future held. There was plenty of life's unknowns. And how many life's unknowns do we have right now? Plenty but we can still commit to living our lives for the Lord and committing our lives with each other. Because with each other, who knows what God can do with us? He can do wonderful things, but we need one another. And you need to commit yourself to living your life with other believers. I love what Ecclesiastes chapter four says. It says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. 
For if they fall, one is there and will, will lift up his, his fellow brother or his fellow sister. But woe, woe, when you, see, when you hear woe, that's exactly what you need to hear. Woe, slow down. Woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. You, my friend, were not meant to live the Christian life alone. You need other believers, just like I need other believers. I need you. I need to be in fellowship with you. And, and, and you go, what does that look like during this time, Cody? Don't you know that we, we've got a shelter in place? Yeah, I know. Here, here's one way you can start. Would you find one person to share one prayer request with once a week? One person, one honest prayer request, personal prayer request with once a week. Would you commit yourself to that? and say, we are gonna be bonded together in prayer. That will begin a, a, a fellowship, a relationship with each other. That if you fall, someone can lift you up in prayer. You don't wanna be left alone and fall by, by yourself. I, I, have a, a, I have great friends who contact me almost weekly. I have one, one pastor friend in Nebraska, what's up, Dan, who he, he texts me every Wednesday and says, I'm praying for you today, how can I pray? Every single Wednesday. I have another friend who prays for me every Tuesday. Praise God, man, I've almost got the week covered. I have believers praying for me, and I'm so thankful, and thank you for praying for me and my family. I love you, I pray that God blesses you tenfold for what you're praying for us. But we've got to commit to one another. God's will will always lead you to God's people. And that's what he was calling them to return to because there, no, there were none of God's people in Moab. No one to encourage Naomi's faith. No one to encourage Ruth's faith. And so that as they go back, they mutually can, can lean on each other because this was a dangerous journey, remember? It was a 50-mile journey. And can you imagine these two gals making a 50-mile journey alone? I mean, there would have been robbers and gangs that would have, would have tried to sabotage their, their trip. They need each other. They keep each other safe. They protect one another on this journey with life's unknowns. And we do the same as believers. And then finally, the last area that a fresh start begins with is a fresh start begins with a return to God's provision. A return to God's provision. A return to his to, to his presence, a return to his people, and finally, a return to his provision. Remember, Naomi is scraping out a living down there in Moab, this foreign land that God never led her to, that she chose to, to go down there anyway. But now she's returning back to Bethlehem, back to this place where, where she's heard that there's bread, and she goes into the city with, with Ruth back in Bethlehem, and it says the city's buzzing, and all her friends come around, and they said, Naomi, which Naomi, remember, means pleasant. Oh my gosh, is that you? Now, now doesn't that strike you as funny that they don't recognize Naomi? I mean, this is her hometown. Yes, she's been gone for 10 years, but this is where she had raised two boys, She'd been there a while. Why do they not recognize her? And she says, listen, don't call me pleasant. Call me Marah or call me bitter because I left this place full and I've returned now empty. 
And you go, what, what does that mean? How did she leave full and return empty? Well, remember, she left as a family of four. Now she's returning a family of 1.5, in a sense, with this daughter-in-law that she has. She feels like there's nothing left. I, I, I had everything, and now everything has been stripped away from me. And you say, Cody, there, there's no hope there. Yes, there is hope, which is why she needs to return back to the Lord's provision, because I love how this chapter ends. Look at, look at verse 22. It says, so Naomi returned, and Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned, there's those words again, from the country of Moab, and get this, the timing. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. You see, what that tells me is that in the midst of Naomi's sorrow, God was sowing seeds of fruitfulness. God can work in the midst of your sorrows. Even when you don't think he's working, he's plowing, he's working. He's plowing to ultimately provide for you, I promise, I promise. And that's the glimpse of hope that we get here at the end of chapter one, and I promise it only gets better. And that's what he wants them to catch that glimpse of. It's the beginning of barley harvest, Naomi and Ruth. Hang on, I know it's been hard but it gets better. Hang on for my provision. It might not look the way that you think it would look, but I promise better days are ahead. And that's my challenge to you. To return to the Lord's provision means this, that you would trust that God would provide in his own way everything you need when you need it. Would you trust that God would provide everything you need when you need it? And that might be in his own way. It might not look the way that you think it would look. It might not look the way that you think it should look. But he's a good father. He's gonna provide for you. He loves a fresh start just as much as you do. Would you trust him for it? There's a psalm that I love, Psalm 37. It's a psalm written by David. And I love this because this psalm gives us a perspective on life, a person that has walked with the Lord for years. And I wanna read that to you. David says, the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. This is about waiting for the Lord and walking in his way rather than asking him to bless wherever you wanna walk. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong. He won't be down for long. For the Lord upholds his hand. The Lord never lets go of him. And I have been young, I love this, I have been young and now I am old, David says, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. I have never, I, I've been young and I've been old and I have never seen the Lord let down one of his own. And guess what, my friend? He's not gonna start with you. He's not gonna let you down. Would you return to him? I, I don't care if you've made bad choices and I know you might be living with consequences. You, you, you wish you could just clear the deck. A fresh start begins today. Would you return back to his presence? Would you return back to his people? Would you return to trusting his provision for your life? These are deep-seated areas of our lives.
that we need to commit to the Lord and we need to commit those to him in prayer. So what I wanna do right now is give you an opportunity to commit yourself to him. And so I wanna give you an opportunity to return, to tell him that you wanna return back to him for a fresh start today. So before we finish with worship and singing wonderful praises to God, I wanna give you an opportunity to pray. So right where you are, we've been reminded that we are in God's presence. No matter where you are, he is with you. Would you bow your head and close your eyes and let me just lead you through some things that you can pray for as we set our hearts to return back to him. So would you bow with me? Would you just begin and say, Lord, I wanna return to you. Lord, I'm tired of living in Moab. I want to return back to you. I want the joy and the pleasures that are forevermore that are in your presence. I want you to think, what is the plan that you have made without consulting the Lord? The plan that you've already formulated in your head that you thought, I'm gonna run after my own pleasure in this way, run after my own provision in this way. Would you say, Lord God, forgive me. Help me to wait on you and provide for me in your waiting. I want you to pray for that person that you're gonna share that prayer request with this week. I want you to go ahead and pray for them now. Pray that they would rest in God's presence, that they would rest in his provision, and that they would know that you would be a person that they can rely on during these unknown times. would you give thanks? Maybe you feel just like Naomi, that you were pleasant, you were full, and all of that's been taken away from you. And you say, Cody, I feel empty right now. You know what Naomi failed to see was Ruth was standing right beside her person that God would use to bless her life in ways that she would never dream or imagine. Standing right in her midst. See, sometimes when we feel empty, we forget the blessings that God has put right in front of us, right beside us. We need to thank him for those things. 
and trust that he's going to use those things to provide in his way in his time thank him God, I thank you for fresh starts. Thank you for Jesus who makes it possible for us to have a, a clean heart, a fresh start with you. And we need that today. We need it every day. We need it for the first time. We need it for the millionth time. We run to you. Thank you that you assure us of a fresh start in your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen.